Welcome to the ICAST podcast series. I'm Indy Singhoti, ICAST president, and I'll be hosting today's podcast discussion. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Ken Okafore. Ken and his wife Mary are the founders of The Humble Penny. They aim to help others achieve financial independence and create financial joy in their lives. Ken is a chartered accountant and has a strong background in investment business, and I'm looking forward to finding out more about his journey during our discussion today. Thanks for joining me today, Ken. Hi, Andy. Wonderful. I think the present is a good place to start. So can you tell us a little bit more about your current role as founder and CEO of The Humble Penny and what a usual day looks like for you? Okay, so The Humble Penny is a personal finance brand in the UK, Uh, although we do have audiences beyond the UK. um, My typical role as a founder and CEO essentially involves uh, thinking about how to align our sort of vision we have for The Humble Penny uh, and bring that vision into reality, uh, as well as managing a small team Uh, which in an interesting way includes my wife as well as a bunch of other freelance freelance people who support us in various ways, such as a video editor and so on. A typical day uh, is split into different things. So on a Monday, I'm typically creating content. On Tuesdays, I'm typically writing blog posts and it carries on like that. So different forms of content are created. And then in between that, I've got various meetings and so on, but all the while trying to focus on working on the business, not necessarily in it per se. Well, thank you for that insight as a, as a founder, CEO. I can resonate a lot with some, with some of my roles and also working with my wife as a co-founder as well. And I think um, we're really interested to get your perspectives on that during our discussions, but I, <laughs> I think it just open, opens up so many wonderful experiences as a couple as well. Yes, um, I agree. If I think about the purpose of Humble Penny and the idea uh, of, of why you started this initiative and organization, uh, can you talk us talk uh, talk a little bit around that, please? Yeah. So in 2017, I used to work. I've worked in the investment business. I worked in the business for about 14 years. And but in 2017, when the Humble Penny was founded, I started a Humble Penny as a side project. It was effectively a side hustle, and um, I started it uh, with my wife Mary as a um, uh, because I worked in an environment where I came across people who were um, wealthy by by default. You know, in the investment business, you come across people who are typically looking for where their money should be invested. Whereas in my true reality, when I look to my friends and family all around me in, in my community, my local community, people were struggling financially. So I felt that I, given the knowledge I had and the experience, more importantly, that I had of actually looking after our own finances, my wife and I on the journey, we felt we had something else to bring. We had a story to tell that wasn't being told. When I looked in the media, I didn't see like someone who looked like me talking about personal finances. So I kind of felt that there was a conversation that needed to be had around how somebody who started from nothing, in my case, I did as an immigrant to the UK, aged 14, how could people who are, have kind of humble beginnings, who are beginning with next to nothing, how could they actually get by and improve their personal finances in a non-judgmental way? How do we cut through all the jargon when it comes to um, the, financial, the 
uh, the kind of financial services industry, but introduce people to the ideas, the mindset, and so on, such, such that they can improve their financial lives. So that's what led to the Humble Penny being started as a as a platform, as a project, and so on. Well, no, thank you, and thank you for sharing that. And I think um, this topic of financial literacy that that you're you're tackling and moving the dial on is so so important. And I and I resonate as someone who had come from a sort of you know working class background and had started a career in the city over a decade ago. You know, recognize the experience I had was really useful to support companies to advise to advise companies, to maybe advise governments, but then you'd look at the individual and think, how is that translating? And I'm, I'm, am I applying those principles in my life? And you can clearly see that with others around around as well. And you recognize how important that financial education and literacy is for a, a well-functioning society and also this individual's well-being, right? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Particularly if you think um, of what COVID as a, as a life event actually taught, I saw really, if you think about it, you know, it really revealed how important this topic of money is and specifically how you look after your money and what impact, you know, uh, the stresses around money and the worry, the anxiety around money has on our well-being. So this is why we refer, you know, at the Humble Penny, we have a tagline, which is to create financial joy. This is where that tagline actually comes from, because it's not just about the money per se, or the, the, the journey of building wealth. It's about that well-being journey as well, uh, whilst you are trying to move along the money journey. Most definitely. And it reminds me of that statistic. Uh, I think it's in the UK-based statistic that 81% of people were worrying about money during during COVID. And that, you know, I think just under half of adults in the UK need help managing money. So this is it's a big issue to solve there. So that brings me on to another question and something that you, you touched on already in terms of your, your journey. And you came to the, the UK as an immigrant at the age of 14 and you became financially independent at the age of 34. Can you talk talk me through a little bit of that journey from start, start to end there and how fi- financial independence has, has changed your life? Wow, that's a, that's a huge question. So for some perspective, when I moved to the UK... Uh, in 1998, um, it was a very different world compared to today, actually. I moved here and we had very limited rights and no money, essentially, as people who immigrated to the UK. In addition to that, cultural challenges and all kinds of barriers, really, if you're if you're someone who's immigrated to a country and starting from the very bottom. So for me, the journey has always been to a big appeal in my life has always been to try to change my life financially and the life of my family, and which is what's actually led me into the financial services industry, because I wanted to have that capacity to create a career and, uh, you know, I chose chartered accountancy because I wanted a career that would, you know, carry on for quite a while and I'd, I'd keep my earnings, earning power and those kind of things. Um, but the financial independence journey actually began when my wife and I, we both met at a property investing seminar after reading a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad many years ago. Um, and that book actually just introduced me to a whole different mindset from a um, a wealth building perspective in that I, I began to believe that I could become somebody who'd be an investor one day or a business owner one day rather than just being an employee. So that mindset shift was very important because around the same time I started to read blog, blogs in America and places like that 
where people were doing quite unusual things in that um, people were starting to aim for early retirement or essentially aim for financial independence. And that seemed like a really appealing thing for me. So my wife and I, when we met, we had very similar mindset and decided that, you know, what we really wanted for ourselves was one day to have no money worries. We wanted to be able to have a family, own our own home, own that home outright, outright, fully paid one day, um, but not have to do what our parents did, which is, you know, even when my dad retired, he still didn't have the mortgage paid off in his in his mid-60s. You know, we really wanted to change that picture. So a big part of what I decided to do very early on um, around the 2008, 2009 time was to start to really focus on investing a greater proportion of my money into various assets. So into the stock market, for example, and then obviously getting, to, getting onto the property ladder. But the goal was really to shift from um, just looking at money as something that was just there to get me by and pay my bills, but looking at money as a tool that I could use to design a life that would work for us. This is actually a critical mindset shift because Oftentimes, if you look at the UK, the average UK savings rate for a household is typically between 6% and 9%. But there's a very direct link between how much you're saving and investing and how many years you need to work until you retire one day. So because we understood that maths, we wanted to figure out a way of giving ourselves that optionality. Uh, and so really shifting that mindset and starting to invest our money in different ways, as well as growing in our careers and so on was what was necessary for us to get to that place where we'd paid off our mortgage, we'd been investing for well over 10 years, so built up a considerable portfolio over time. And obviously that coincided with lots of other things in the world, you know, with uh, lower interest rates and many other things that have happened in that time that meant that whilst my career was being developed, whilst I worked my way up to become a CFO, all those things, I wasn't just spending my money on just living a lifestyle. I was using that money to build wealth, essentially. And what it's done for me when I think about it on reflection is it's given me optionality. I never, ever thought, say, for example, I run a, I run a humble penny today. I could have carried on with my career in chartered accountancy. Even though I'm still a chartered accountant, I run my own, you know, I run this platform to help other people improve their finances. And I run it as a financial education business with my wife. If I'm honest, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it had we not been in a good place financially. Because what that meant was that we were doing it without a, a whole lot of risk at all. Because, you know, when you have a home that's paid off, when you have, uh, you know, substantial savings and we, that, that continues to grow and things like that. And when your lifestyle is simplified, which is a big part of what helped us massively, what you find is that you become much more entrepreneurial. You're much more likely to back yourself and want to solve certain problems that you see out there. The other thing it did for me as well was my my parenting journey and my marriage. It's really helped me and my wife become a lot closer because I'm much more available. But it's also just helped my my fatherhood, you know, being there for my children. Because growing up, I hardly saw my parents because they were always working. They had three, four jobs. They'd finish this one, they'd go to that next one. But getting to this place where we have this optionality has really helped to improve my family life. I absolutely love that. And there's so much, so much to un un unpack there. But I really resonate with what you're saying. I think the, the concept of you know, even paying yourself first when you get your salary, you're making sure that whatever you're putting aside to, to invest in yourself is, is hugely important. The other two areas around sort of designing a life um, that you with intention, um, I really, really resonate with. And this piece around the optionality 
um, that financial independence gives you. But I guess stepping back a little bit and for the benefit of our listeners, how would you define financial independence? So uh, the way I look at it is there are a couple of definitions out there and you can tweak them depending on what sort of situation you're in. I look at it as one definition. It's a stage where the income coming from assets that you that you own, so it could be you know your stock market portfolio paying you dividends, could be property and all those things, is able to cover your like your uh, essential needs, your you know your home costs, your day to day living costs, and that sort of stuff. Uh, another definition is where you've built up a considerable portfolio such that you're able to draw down that portfolio if you want it to, and it will last you at least, you know, the next 20, 25 years sort of thing. Um, the definition we prefer is the previous definition, because what we decided to do was to minimize our lives, was reduce our lifestyles and simplify it by getting rid of as much recurring costs as possible. So, for example, a big one was our home, home costs. And we did this during a time when interest rates were very low because a lot of people were saying, no, it's a really bad financial decision to pay, try and pay off your mortgage and stuff like that. But we we had a personal vision for our lives as a family, which did not include having a lot of personal debt. So uh, for us, it was all about getting our lifestyles to a place where we, we cut our costs you know, sensibly to uh, a decent a decent amount such that you know, we're able to then do other things like I am able to earn if I wanted through part time work if I wanted or through freelancing if I wanted or through consulting if I wanted. But essentially, I'm not at that place where I'm drawing down my savings because I'm actually working now. Running the humble penny is actually my work now, but it's just a different work aside from my previous chartered accountancy work. But what we do have is that optionality such that if we haven't stopped today and said, oh, like, you know, I'm no longer carrying on with this career, I wouldn't need to worry about my financial life because the, in- the, the portfolio we've built up, the income coming in and things like that is able to cover our monthly costs. Sure, no, and thank you. Thank you for that definition. So if I was to sort of uh, summarize to the benefit of our readers, the the two main mechanisms to help us to achieve financial independence, let's say, and drivers, one would be around our sort of savings and investment rate. So whatever percentage that we're investing into sort of different asset classes, stocks, equities, real estate. And the the other side is tackling sort of our everyday running costs per se, right? And and thinking about our lifestyle and, and, and managing that. And so if those are the two drivers... I guess, you know, and, and something that I hear I hear a lot from, from people as well is number one, how can I save so much? And then number two, when you're thinking about this lifestyle conversation, people think all of a sudden they've got this image that you're living um a very limited life, you're not going out much, you're not you're not socializing <laughs> and they think you're probably gonna be eating sort of packet rice or, or, or whatever have you. Yeah, baked beans. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, what, what does that look like in reality? Just to give it some color for, for our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually really important. So in practical terms, it meant changing small things. So to put in perspective, so we used to, I'll give you, I use examples people can relate to. So we used to drive a really nice Audi A4. It's really nice. But and it was quite expensive and it was expensive to maintain. But we 
shifted that car in 2017 to a 2013 Nissan Leaf, for example, which is an electric car, which cost us about £9,000 to buy and which had next to nothing when it came to running costs. It used to cost us about £28 per month for about 1,000 miles of driving in a month before, obviously, you know, electricity costs and things went skyrocket in the last couple of years. Uh, so it's small things like that. It's shifting... Um, they need to just acquire things you know i don't spend my money just buying stuff like casual shopping or i don't have an expensive watch like i've got a plastic one that maybe cost me like 20 quid or something and and stuff like that so shifting that mindset away from acquiring things such that you then spend on the things that are meaningful to you so for example i love traveling my wife and i love traveling right so it means what we actually do because we love traveling is we plan ahead we're like two years ahead in thinking when it comes to, oh, where do we want to go as a family? How do we get the best um, deals for our travels? How do we save money from booking our flights and stuff like that? So this then speaks to this whole idea of life design, because there are different things that that are um, important to different people. Um, some people value other things. Some people value having a nice car. Other people might not. So for me, it's about designing a life that actually works for you, but making sure that that life is not rooted in consumerism. But I mean, it's not rooted in like just acquiring stuff because, you know, the culture of today uh, has, has almost... Uh, groomed us into comparing ourselves to other people and consuming stuff just because we see other people consuming stuff. So a lot of it is mindset-led in helping you say, well, actually, our lifestyle is this. Here's what it's going to cost us. And here's why this lifestyle is important to us. Um, and we're going to make sure through our savings, through the investments we've been putting us, you know, putting money into over the years and through uh, the choices we, we make from a work perspective that that's able to be covered quite easily without, um, without us having to worry about our finances and stuff like that. I absolutely love that. And I think the point I take away this piece of, you know, you don't drive your value identity from the things that you buy or own, which I think a lot of us can fall in, into that trap of having the latest, like you said, the, the, the best brand car, the latest phone, the latest gadget, uh, certain branded clothing, just to feel like we're fitting in or our sort of social hierarchy is is based on that for some reason. And I really like your piece on being intentional about what you really enjoy. And it goes back to really doing that, doing that inner, inner work, which I think is very important. Um, one one thing that you've mentioned a few, on a few occasions now is that you're you're a chartered accountant, and one of the reasons why you're on this podcast. But would be really interested to just understand your rationale for why you pursued that career, and I guess how it's helped you to achieve financial independence, and also how, how it's helped you to do what you're doing now in terms of running your own business. Sure, that's a great question. So I didn't know what I wanted to do for my career. I had zero idea because I didn't have role models. I didn't have anybody who had like a proper, like professional, I didn't know, a I didn't even know a chartered accountant. I didn't know what one looked like, but I did well in my maths A-levels. And I said to my, te my teacher said, oh, you go on A in your maths A-levels. Maybe you should like look at some of these finance careers, like banking, actuarial science, accountancy. And I'm like, oh, this sounds like good options. And I went through clearing and I got into uni through a clearing to study accounting and finance. That was it. 
And I was at uni and I'm like, oh, okay, what's the natural path after uni accounting and finance? I did a degree, got a first class degree at City University of London, finished. And I was like, oh, chartered accountancy seems to be the way to go. I'm going to just like, because all these people kept coming to the uni to talk to you about career options. And that was what led me to the uh, the ACA as a the chartered accountancy qualification as a as a thing to do. Uh, and again, I didn't know anybody, particularly anyone from my background who'd ever done chartered accountancy. So I didn't even think I'd get into the career, but somehow I landed a training contract after doing a few interviews and got so many rejections. And that be- that became my beginning of my career. You know, I focused for three years, passed all those exams first time and became a chartered accountant in December 2008. Uh, I think they actually officially was Jan 2009 or something like that. I got admitted into the institute. Um, and that was it. That was how my career started. So I chose that career because it offered stability and potential and earnings potential, uh, as well as like it, it felt quite prestigious. You know, I didn't know anybody who was an accountant. Like I was like, Do you know what? It'd be nice if I could become like, you know, if I could become a chartered accountant one day. And plus, it, it, it really complemented my interest in numbers and uh, business and stuff like that, because, you know, being an, coming from an immigrant family, my family are pretty, um, are quite entrepreneurial. So I felt that that qualification and that career path actually gave me a balance of um, using what I felt my strengths were, which is in kind of understanding numbers and thinking logically um, with kind of balancing that with business. So I then go into the career and um, I think careers just helped me understand how companies work you know, and how structures are created, how processes are designed, how decisions are made, uh, how boards work, you know, all those things. Um, I I, I trained as an auditor, actually, for three years. So uh, auditing helps you almost look beneath the bonnet of a of a company so again that discipline helped me to become you know quite thorough in um you know using some of those skills today like for example if i'm creating a youtube video and the way i i research those videos some of those skills actually came from my auditing days in how i might be working on a company and stuff like that so a lot of the skills i picked up um are completely transferable today even even when it comes to my personal finance journey you know understanding a balance sheet for example was very instrumental for understanding my personal financial net worth you know that kind of stuff you know so I've been able to take that thinking, uh, you know, that PL thinking, even today teaching people, we teach a lot of people how to start their own businesses. A lot of that came from auditing companies, working in entrepreneurial environments and that sort of stuff and having a go myself. All of that together has helped me today to get in quite a lot of confidence and credibility, I guess, when it comes to talking about these topics, because I'm not just saying stuff that I've like read somewhere. I'm saying it because I've actually done it, you know, uh, and that's much more believable than a lot of things you might hear out there from people who just say stuff because they found it on chat GPT or they've like, you know, I don't know, they've heard it on some YouTube video. So, yeah. I, I absolutely love that. You've touched on so many important points. I'll give, 
going back to what you, you mentioned initially, um, I was similar in my family background. I mean, I think both my parents' ambition for me was, I, I, I distinctly remember this being a young child of saying, well, we want you to be a manager. Managers, we're not sure what, maybe. And for them, their aspiration was a sort of a manager role in some kind of factory or, or manufacturing environment because that's, right. that's the environment they were in and that, that's all that they 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 knew uh, but some of the pieces that you've touched on that I think are hugely important this piece when you're quite young of feeling like you've got to have it all together and know exactly what you want to do the reality is mm-hmm. we're all we're still finding that north star we're still we're still thinking mm-hmm. about that and we're trying options and it's, it's really nice to hear your honesty in that regard but then also the fact that you found the profession through thinking about your strengths uh, in mathematics or the way you think and the way you operate um, but then also thinking about the, the holistic value the 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 qualification provides so you talked talked about there that some some of the youtube skills that you that you you've gained and, and cross-pollination <laughs> from auditing that's the first i've heard of that and that's a, that, that that's that's not surprising <laughs> to me given I'm, I'm 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 in this i'm in this role and then obviously the, the very very strong personal finance link i mean if we're, we're here as, as 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 a profession to advise society and build trust in capital markets and to help companies and organizations in terms of good financial management and assurance, then no doubt that very easily translates to a personal individual level um, as well. So you, you touched on some, some of the work you're doing with, with, with people as part of Humble Penny. And, and we know that money has a powerful hold over many of our lives, especially during a cost of living crisis that we're currently going through. And it dictates the everyday decisions we make and, and really affects the quality of our life. So in your experience, can you tell us a little bit about the work you've done with others to help them achieve financial freedom and to become a to become and to use a term that you use a fearless dreamer hmm. thank you that's such a good question so i i look at the money journey if i had to split it into three steps i'd split it into these three steps um and i i, I do it this way because i realize that um we're all at different stages of our money journeys yeah Everybody's at a different place. And that's fine because, in fact, the best place to begin any journey is where you're at right now. So, you know, that, that's really the very beginning point. But the three stages would be uh, the stage of taking control of your finances. That's step one. Uh, step two would be growing your money. And then step three would then be uh, aiming for financial independence. Yeah. Now, I split it in that way because a lot of our work um involves meeting people at different stages of the journey yeah what you find is that the vast majority of adults in the uk and uh, actually beyond uh, are at that very first stage of taking control of their finances but that i mean um a lot of a lot of the reasons why many of us live payday to payday is because of our inability to manage cash flow our inability to manage the the inflow of money in and out of our lives. And that might sound quite simple, but it's actually quite complicated because financial education alone is not enough for people to be able to manage their finances. A lot of what's actually at play is related to behavior. You know, um, what what sort of habits, what sort of money habits have we adopted? What sort of mindsets have we adopted? So a big part of our work is actually in that first stage of helping people take control. 
helping people to get into the driving seat of their financial lives. Things like, again, this comes from a from chartered accountancy, things like putting setting controls in place, like budgeting, for example, yeah, helps you to actually start to allow a tool like that to help to guide your financial life and so on. Uh, and and, and uh, taking certain steps to uh, really be clear on what sort of money habits you have or what sort of money habits you need to adopt in order to become that person who's maybe debt free one day for example all those that entire body of work falls into stage one which is all about taking control and once you've taken control taking control actually um the way a good almost um indicator that you're in control is that you're living below your means yeah, you're confident living below your means and you've got a buffer, like an emergency buffer of between three and six months of your monthly expenses. That gives you a level of financial stability. The next step then becomes, well, I'm now at this stage. How do I now grow my money? How do I let money work on money? That second piece is about mindset. A lot of it's about a shift in the way you think. Uh, for example, in the UK, a lot of our mindsets are focused on um, almost protecting what we have rather than uh, exploring out there and thinking of returns. You know, how do I create a return on my money? How do I make my money grow? You know, which is why we don't, a lot of us don't grow up learning how to make money or learning how to invest money or learning how to, you know, all those start a business, all those elements that are necessary for growth. So that second piece is then about mindset. And then the final piece of financial independence is then more about longer term thinking, about life design. It's about like sort of lifestyle I want to create for myself for the future and what's my core why for doing it? What's the purpose for which I want to become financially independent? That then requires a different level of work, but again, focused on skill set and mindset. So all that put together is a good summary of how I would describe our body of work. It's really around, first of all, helping people to take control of their finances, then it's about growing their money. Then it's about becoming financially independent. But along that money journey, prioritizing your joy, prioritizing your well-being, prioritizing a sense of fun in your life and so on. I absolutely love that, Ken. And thank you for sharing in, in, in some detail that sort of three-part part process that, that you have there. Now, the, the core mission of The Humble Penny is to help 10,000 people to become financially independent. That's a lot of people. So what, what keeps you motivated to achieve this ambitious goal? It's the ripple effects that it can create. I look at, I use example, I'm, I'm, I was born in Lagos in Nigeria. I'm immigrated here to the UK. I'm part of a black, the black community here in the UK. I use that as an example. Uh, and, and our work, by the way, extends to every community, whether you're white, Asian, black, in between, whichever. But I wanted to use that as an example. I see uh, th that mission, the thing that keeps me motivated to achieve this mission is the fact that for every household that moves along the money journey and takes control of their finances and one day becomes financially independent, for every family that does that, what it does is it creates generational wealth for those families. Yeah. And it means that we end up with households that I view as net producers rather than net consumers. Because for you to get to a place where you are 
you've got a sense of financial security and you're, you're, you're working towards financial independence, you are actually producing a lot more than you're consuming by definition, because you have to live below your means. You have to live considerably below your means and you have to get into the mindset of creating a return on your money. You have to be in that mindset where um, you're able to put money into things that actually work and you're able to actually um, improve your skill set. You're able to contribute a bit more and so on. So for me, the big motivation is really about uh, becoming a change agent in, in my community, you know, becoming, becoming a change agent in and around um, the various communities here in the UK and helping people to essentially change their financial destinies in the current generation. I'll give you an example, seeing my family and seeing my kids and how they interact with money today, I would never ever have foreseen that 20 years ago. Yeah, so the fact that that's been able to happen in this generation, for me is very encouraging because it means that between my wife and I and the work we're doing, a lot is possible for other people in that process as well. So. For me, it's about seeing people. When I meet people face to face, they're like, "Here's how my life is changing. I've got, I've become debt free. I've, I've stopped relying on my credit cards. I've stopped living in my overdraft. I'm now starting to invest. I'm starting to do it on a recurring basis each month. I've increased how much I'm saving. I'm starting to get uh, learn a new skill at work. I've worked to try and get a promotion. The list carries on. So you can see that there's a general kind of trend towards." Um, not just consuming, you know, not just consuming all the time, but actually um, uh, you looking after the little you have in your hands, such that one day when you're building much more considerable wealth, you're still able to do that because you've 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 generated the right habits and those kinds of things, the right behaviors that are necessary to do that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I think if it, to to sort of paraphrase some of the some of the topics you you mentioned there, that ripple effect is so 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 important because it has that effect on one one individual's well being and the way they operate, and then on society as as you mentioned, becoming a a net producer in society and not necessarily a consumer, and then that generational impact that financial independence has and the relationship in a, in a sort of family family environment. So I absolutely really love that and can clearly see why this mission keeps you keeps you driven now your youtube channel has an impressive number of followers i think just over sixty-five thousand people subscribing and so i guess the question is really there is around how has social media helped you to build your business your brand and audience and is it is it an important communication tool for cas and chartered accountants oh. yeah so First of all, I wanna, I wanna, because when you look at today, you might look at those and those stats and think, wow, that's really, that's really successful or impressive or whatever. But I want to start by saying that I never ever would have imagined myself being somebody who creates on YouTube. And I'll tell you why. I actually grew up being labelled as shy. I would. I'm, and this is probably another reason why, like, I went into auditing and, like, that kind of stuff. Like, I'm much more like a back office kind of guy, right? So I would I would never have seen myself as someone who would create a YouTube channel. But the thing I noticed is that, the thing I learned is that every single person, no matter what industry you work in, no matter your profession, every person has a voice and a story, a unique voice and a unique story. And that story 
is a story that's that's there to empower other people. YouTube and platforms like that are essentially platforms that are there to help to amplify your voice and to amplify your story. Yeah. So when I went onto the YouTube platform, I began, first of all, I had two years of writing a blog first because I wanted to get used to writing and shifting away from just thinking of myself as just a logical accountant to somebody who has that possibility of being creative. Yeah. So I think that platforms like YouTube are definitely platforms that uh, chartered accountants or people in the uh, in the industry can leverage as a way to communicate their message, to communicate their voice, to promote their their firms, their products, their services, but driven by the right motive. The motive has to be about the person on the other side of the screen, because if you get that motive wrong, it doesn't work out. So you have to be led by the purpose. I use their two focuses for me, their purpose and profits. Purpose has to come first. So if you're led by the why you're doing something and the impact you're having, everything else follows. And that includes profits and you know that kind of stuff. Thank you for sharing that. I absolutely love that. You've got to start with the why and the purpose. That's so, so important. But then also that, that really important message, and, and you're, you're a fantastic case study of that, of you know even if you're a CA with sometimes labeled as logical thinkers or someone that cannot be creative or someone that's maybe introverted and you're showing that actually you can you can build these skills you don't necessarily have to have to ascribe to those societal labels and you can can break the mold in many many respects and I see you you doing that so I guess my one of, one of my other questions that touches on that is would you how would you describe yourself would you describe yourself as an entrepreneur I would describe myself as a creator of value. That's how I like to look at it. So I used to define myself by my qualification, which is I am a some I go to a party, someone says, or I go to an event, a networking event. What do you do, Ken? I'm a chartered accountant. That's like a, a default. And that's because I define myself purely by my profession. And what you find with that is that there is a huge downside to that because you could have a knock in your career. You could get made redundant. You could like, a lot of things could happen. And I actually think that's quite a limiting way of defining ourselves because we possess so many more possibilities. Yeah. So I look at myself as a creator of value. I am a YouTuber. I'm a blogger. I'm a chartered accountant. I'm a speaker. I'm a writer. Like, do you understand? There's so many different spheres of our possibilities. It's the reason why we focus on the one profession is just because of tradition. Like, that's just what everybody does. However, if you start to shift the way you think, it really changes the level of value that you feel you bring to the world. That's a huge mindset shift because it then means that you don't have to feel boxed into one area where you feel like this is all I can talk about. With natural fact, you might have a love for knitting. You might have a love for baking. You might have a love for, you know, property investing or doing up you know, like decorating, all these are all different elements of who we are and define the individual. Uh, so that for me is how I kind of look at myself. And that might include entrepreneurship as well.
No, fantastic answer. And I, I resonate with you on so many levels. I think we've historically always identified ourselves in terms of our economic function in society. And that usually would be our profession or, or, or economic role or, or job role. But actually, I, I'd think of it as these qualifications are our toolkit. They're the skills that we have. And the CA is definitely, definitely one of them. But I love your, 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 your lens as being a value creator in society. So to... We're, we're very, very quickly running out of time, but to round off our discussion today, what advice would you give to CAs looking to embrace aspects of entrepreneurship and to develop their role into a multifaceted one? Hmm. So I would say that um, you first need to give yourself the permission to explore something else. So a lot of what holds us back from trying stuff is actually ourselves. Right. So the beginning stage is actually getting out of your own way, which is the give yourself the uh, every possibility to say, you know what, I have the possibility to explore other ideas. And then more practically, I'd say that um, a, a really good exercise that I found helpful was to look at my what are my five talents and what are my five passions? So a talent is something that you're good at. Yeah. Uh, something that people say you're good at. So are you good at like with numbers? Are you good with like coding? Are you good with Excel? Like whatever, right? What are your five areas of talent? And then five areas of passion. A passion is something that makes your heart sing. Something you something you do without necessarily being paid for. Yeah, it might be that you're great at cooking. It might be that you're great at, I don't know, um, researching stuff, right? Those areas of talents and passions, reason I mentioned that is, is when you bring together different elements of your talent and passion, it gives you an area of something else you can focus on outside of your day job or outside of your area of career definition. So for example, I run the Humble Penny today. Why? Because I have a passion for, I like to teach people stuff. Like people have told me that I could become a teacher in another career. Right. I like to like break stuff down into like make it super simple, use everyday language to make, help you understand stuff. But I've got a talent for the finances, the, you know, understanding technical terms and that kind of stuff. So the humble penny came out of that fusion of my talent and my areas of passion. Yeah. So anyone can take that same model or that same uh, structure to begin to explore an idea, something you start very small that's just an area of interest, then over time, because of your deep interest in trying to make that thing into something one day, you, you start to develop entrepreneurial skills and, and abilities. Well, I absolutely love that framework. Five talents, five passions, and five that convergence of where they cross over. Uh, what, what a great way to think about it and what a great framework to use. Um, Ken, thank you so much for your time for this for this uh, episode and this series. We've taken away so much in terms of mindset, thinking about lifestyles, designing a lifestyle, thinking about um, financial literacy and financial independence and what that means and the topic of entrepreneurship. I think there's lots to take away for our listeners today. So I really appreciate the time. If anyone wanted to connect with you wider, how, how could they reach out? Yeah, sure. So you can head over to our website over uh, at thehumblepenny.com. It's also our blog where we write blog content uh, every week. Uh, alternatively, you can follow us at The Humble Penny on Instagram or YouTube uh, and places like that. 
Uh, or you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search my name, Ken Okorafor, on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ken.